just so y'all know, please, um, you can fast forward all of my episodes um, to about five minutes in just because that is my intro music. Um, since usually this is a video podcast, um, I have a countdown of five minutes. So please do if you need to.
what is going on everyone good morning to everyone this morning it's early <laughs> i usually do these during the week but we have a guest today um and we're gonna go ahead and bring him in oh here we go all right hello, hello everybody what is going on um <clears throat> so let's go ahead and introduce yourself Okay, I am Dr. John Velasquez. Um, I hold the title because I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, having gone to Texas A&M University and College Station to uh, earn that degree with training in, at the University of Washington School of Medicine, um, having to do with rehab medicine, chronic pain, chronic illness, and such as that. Um, went to UT Austin, went to, taught at uh, Baylor, University and taught at uh, University of the Incarnate Word here in San Antonio for about 15 years. Hmm. In the last four to five years, I've been full-time practice, um, mostly at um, a clinic where we do mental health disability exams for veterans. Oh, nice. I had the privilege to meet over 4,000 veterans living in San Antonio. Um, taught, uh, you know, college students, university students, but I've also trained and mentored them um, in my practice sites, uh, one particularly on the south side where I've been for now 20 years um, in zip code 78210, one of the hardest hits um, zip codes uh, for years um, in terms of it being a food desert, um, mm. mental health desert, and I've been going there <clears throat> every day practically Monday through Friday, um, these past 20 years. So I feel like I know that zip code. And I know a lot of people on the south side of San Antonio uh, who I think are seriously underrepresented in uh, mm. City Hall, not just now, but for, for years. Um, and so I'm here to uh, spread the good news about how mental health treatment and attention to mental health is going to be and needs to be and has to be major, major factor and function of City Hall in San Antonio, Texas. Mm, definitely. And I want to get to a couple of topics there, but uh, just a reminder to everyone watching, you can jump into the conversation and comment and ask a question directly. Um, I will go ahead and post a link, and this is for uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. If you want to jump into the actual conversation and ask a question directly, you can do so as well. Um, uh, just follow the link that I just posted in the comment box, so you can actually jump in and actually jump and, and ask a question directly. Instagram, you'll just have to ask a question on on, on the comments, and I'll, I'll relay it to them. So, um, so let's talk about. Uh, so with with the mental health, so we have homeless homelessness, right? Yes. Um, and also with the with the police department, those are two avenues right there that that people are are having a lot of trouble with trying to find a solution with how they handle those. So, what are some things that you can bring or or some ideas that you have to help with those situations? Mm -hmm. uh, you're referring to the actual encounters. Mm -hmm. between a police right. officer and a person who's living on the street and homeless. Yeah. Well, you know, to the credit of the San Antonio Police Department, they have uh, implemented um, measures to involve mental health in uh, many of these crisis calls. Um, but there is a serious uh, shortage of places for 
homeless persons to go. Okay. So that's, so that's a major factor. And I think <clears throat> we would reduce the population of those out there if we paid more attention to affordable housing. It, it's like we're relying on the police officers to do what a lot of other people haven't been doing um, <clears throat> all the way up in, in City Hall. Um, <clears throat> uh, we, we're focusing too much attention on gentrification and bringing in a new uh, high-rise expensive um, apartments that's displacing uh, people who probably become homeless. <clears throat> uh, that's displacing people who probably then may have to live with a family member, you know, and we've, we've heard about the implications of that uh, for COVID. And so um, that's just kind of a, a way of looking at problems from a broader perspective, you know. But back to the you know, original question, <clears throat> um, we do need to think more about implementing more strategies for social work, social workers, counselors, psychologists. I challenge them to be a part of this uh, effort to be there on the street mm -hmm. with the people, assisting the police officers, helping them size up, you know, what, what can be done and not be done. And I know that's a potentially, you know, volatile, violent situation, but um, <clears throat> there's, there's many other avenues we can use, um, including mental health on the spot. Definitely. Um, Anthony uh, says police reform. What, what's your, what is your, what are your thoughts on the, the whole police reform issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> I, I know within the San Antonio Police Department, there are mental health services offered. I don't know how much uh, that clearly could be, uh, you know, increased and addressed. Um, these officers are experiencing traumas um, in their daily routine, <clears throat> which need to be addressed because we've known for decades that uh, exposure to traumas, even in the line of work as first responders, uh, can affect mood. Uh, it makes people particularly irritable, you know, and I'm not saying everyone is, but, you know, in crisis situations, you know, uh, the mood really gets ramped up pretty high. And so if there's a variety of perspectives, you know, there, um, <clears throat> we might ought to implement some strategy where uh, mental health is involved in every single uh, situation where an officer has to go out to some location, you know, people's homes that, uh, on the streets, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I do think that um, <clears throat> I, uh, body cams work when they're on. They do help to moderate situations. Uh, research has proven that. Um, if, if it's not in place now, it should be mandatory for every stop, including, uh, you know, just normal traffic stops um, mm -hmm. so that everyone feels uh, more comfortable. You know, I, I think sometimes when I'm driving, you know, if I've you know, been stopped for speeding like everyone else. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, it, it would be nice if someone was watching. <laughs> right. And so, you know, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, yeah. um, <clears throat> and so, I mean, other cities are, you know, implementing no chokehold, um, you know, things of that kind. Um, De-escalation has to be uh, in there. Everyone must be trained in that. Um, approach with caution, you know, approach with, you know, hope, you know, uh, you know, different perspectives. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where the mental health professionals on the scene could help out. So those are a few where it can, at least uh, in the moment, um, assist officers and people who are part of that to 
just take your time if necessary, you know, mm -hmm. uh, work, work it out. Yeah. So definitely. there are other areas I'm not so familiar with in terms of uh, if the uh, viewers talking about police reform within the, uh, the union structure and the contract. Um, I don't have a uh, privy to those details, so it would, would be not appropriate for me to comment on those, but uh, they do need to work out all those issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, I know this is your your second time trying this, and and, and you came oh third third, uh, you came really close, uh, you know, uh, last time. So, what are some things that that pushed you to to drive and, and, and you know try it try it again? Well, the first time was uh, the election in uh, twenty eighteen. Um, no, 2016 of the, the president at that time spurred me into political action. Um, the second time had to do with uh, the ongoing need to push for, for mental health. And, and now this third time is that um, there's been overwhelming national traumas right now that are seen as basic needs issues with the snowstorm. Um, economic relief uh, due to response to, to COVID. Um, but in all those discussions, we're not talking about how the population has been traumatized. And so I'm, I'm like this voice out there that's reminding leaders, uh, the mayor, uh, Metro Health, that not enough attention is being paid to mental health. And it, it's like ignoring cancer. We wouldn't do that. It's like ignoring diabetes. You know, we wouldn't do that. Um, it's like ignoring, you know, childhood uh, leukemia. We wouldn't do that. Um, it, it's like this pervasive centuries old bias that if you have mental health, something's wrong with you. Well, yeah, your brain is not functioning so well. So <laughs> let's treat right. the condition rather than throw people off you know, coming full circle to this discussion of homeless, you can imagine how many of those men and women and children are experiencing mental health crises. I mean, if we broke a bone, we would all rush to the hospital. <laughs> right, yeah. But when we have mental health traumas, we, we sit in alone and in isolation, afraid to tell someone, you know, that we, we're having, you know, experiences, you know, and taught to believe that, no, you, you're just weak and you need to, you know, work just yourself through that. And so th this perspective is not medicine, it's not virology, it's not immunology, but mental health affects all of those. And so it's like saying to the doctor, what are my treatment options? And they tell you two or three and they leave out a very, very important treatment option. That would not be advisable. And we're leaving out the option of mental health. Mm. at the level of city hall yeah and, and that's always been a stigma especially like in the hispanic community yes. it's like oh you know and, and the military as well i mean it's yes you didn't want to be labeled as <laughs> mm -hmm. you know that and 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 yeah i i think i think the new generations that are coming up now the, the younger yes. kids are realizing that it's okay to say that I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, you know, and that's, that's really cool to see that. I see it a lot, like on, on social media, it's a lot of these kids, they're, and they're kids, cause they're like 20 years old, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> right. And, but they're, they're saying, Hey, look, 
there's something wrong. I, I'm suffering through this. I'm suffering from depression. And it's okay, you know, and people mm-hmm. will be there to help. So um, I think we need to take a page from that book yeah, from, from, from these kids. I mean, it's, we need to be okay with talking about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Anthony says we as citizens are experiencing trauma from the constant harassment, beatings and false arrests. Uh, I have PTSD from my interactions with SAPD. What will you do to ensure criminal charges are filed when an officer violates our rights? Good question. That's a part of police reform. Okay. Um, <clears throat> whatever office um, or group within uh, City Hall and the police department, um, you know, needs needs a liaison somewhere in there, a middleman, a middlewoman to um, to address the mental health concerns and um, maybe even see that as both an infraction of the you know the professional duties of a peace officer, police officer. Um, on the criminal side, but at the same time, we need to see, we can see it also as a mental health issue. What led to that point where an officer would behave so aggressively, you know, with someone? Help the police officer work through that. Um, and if if we do that with each, you know, situation like that, make it a combination of you know this could be a violation of law, it could be a violation of your ethical duties. Uh, but we know this could mean, mean something about your own mental health status and um, <clears throat> how we can then uh, re- rehabilitate, uh, redirect, um, hold officers accountable, um, not hold over them the threat of being fired as, you know, the only alternative. Um, I, I would be actively interested in uh, developing a response plan to that that has multiple levels from do we need to file criminal charges right away to um, opening it up to an investigation to handling it internally with um, measures that are mandated to uh, you know have a cooling off period of health um, we require all kinds of people to go to medicine. You know, the VIA bus drivers, they must prove their health to continue to work. Uh, we could do something similar with uh, police officers because they have a really difficult job. I've talked to many, many, many police officers, sheriff's deputies, um, DPS, uh, troopers, even some border patrol agents. I've talked to many, many people within law enforcement at the level of what impact that job has on them. And so I know uh, what's going on with them. And um, these mental health perspectives could prevent many of these incidents that potentially can lead to, do we charge an officer with a crime? Let's, Let's get more basic down to earth, support everyone, um, and make sure we're all doing okay. And we'll be able to perform our jobs much, much better. This is, this would be a huge payoff to the city in terms of morale, mental health, and even savings, uh, you know, by uh, using mental health. It's, it's such a, an overlooked uh, resource for everyone. And so I don't know if I answered the question thoroughly enough for <laughs> Anthony, 
yeah. but yes, you know, if crimes are committed, they should be addressed, but then also don't see it just as crime, but see it as perhaps mental health. Well, on and, the and flip I, side of that, when oh. someone commits a crime, we need to see that as yes, you violated a crime, but you need help too, because there's some reason you got to that point. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know, honestly, I haven't heard anybody talk about that aspect of, you know, with mental health with the police officers in general. Um, it's it's been a well, either get rid of them or no, they're fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I think that's a very good point that you're making about. Um, you know, why are these officers acting this way? Uh, and, and you're right. That job is, is, uh, something else. And even when I went into Iraq, you know, some of my, some of the guys that I was with, like, you know, sometimes he needed to, to cool him down or, or to, mm -hmm. you know, cause it stresses you out, um, yeah, especially does. being in that, in that type of environment. So, I think that's something that, that we really need to talk about. And I thank you for, for saying that. Cause that's yeah. that honestly, out of all the candidates, none of them have really talked about mental health with police officers. So mm -hmm. that's definitely a good point. Um, when it yeah. comes to uh, homelessness, I keep hearing uh, we need more programs, which we do keep hearing a lot about that, but what specifically would you like to see done? Do you know of any homeless in your area by name? Um, have you spoke to them or gotten to know them? Yes, I have um, met some homeless uh, persons, men and women, children, families uh, also. Um, fortunately, with the help of uh, the folks that I work with on the south side, we, we've had this open door policy. Um, over the years I've been there, people can literally walk up to the door, come in, and we'll either see them right then or schedule. Okay. Um, and so at times these persons have been homeless and I see them walk away and they're just walking down the street when they leave the center where I work. So I, yes, I have spoken with them. Um, I know what they've you know had to deal with and particularly the parents and their anguish uh, over their ability to care for their children. And I'm here to tell the world, especially San Antonio, you don't know how they got to that place mm. in their life where there was nowhere to go. And, you know, we're a very family oriented, you know, community. And so they don't have family. I mean, that's who you turn to when you first have problems, you know, they don't have a job. And, you know, this kind of brings up the whole disability uh, perspective. Yeah, we need to find those persons assist them in seeking social security disability, which they have probably been entitled to for years. And knowing the system, they got to try two or three times so that they can have a sort of a basic, you know, financial foundation, at least, you know, they can eat, they can stay somewhere, uh, eventually maybe get on their feet and find their own, you know, more permanent, you know, residence. But uh, I say this about the veterans, too. Um, for life circumstances, whatever they might be, if you reach a point where your physical or mental health is disabling, then we have programs already in place. We just got to bring them in. The veterans say it all the time. You know, someone 
made me do this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wasn't going to. I, I finally, my wife told me, you know, my husband told me we should do this. And so um, I read this morning uh, that the city of San Antonio had raised, you know, bulldozed uh, homeless encampments uh, mm -hmm. over 150 times during COVID. I mean, you know, what a way to treat homelessness. You know, that's, that's pretty harsh and, and kind of inhumane, you know. And then they spent, what, over a hundred something thousand dollars doing that. Mm. We, we could fund a single mental health program for an entire year with four therapists. That, and that was, I think, in District 10 alone. In District um, 10, yeah, just because yeah. it's the more you know, prominent one yeah. in, that, in that regard. Um, <clears throat> but then, you know, they got to have a financial foothold. And at the same time, we need to use our housing dollars and, and tax write-offs for these large, expensive, wealthy um, new housing to go into the community and renovate what's there now. There's, there's not plenty of housing, but there's plenty of places in which if we went in there, renovated them, made them safe, people can live there. Okay. Uh, and I agree, it's not going to be some new big program, but we just need to focus our attention in housing to uh, taking care of the homeless, the most in need. And then the other areas of town where there's the most need. Hmm. You know, the mayor came in. Um, in his election in 2017 talking about equity which i think is the notion that you know we can't just you know throw a dollar to everyone all at once and call that equality you know everyone's being treated the same well we can't use that model we got to use equity and he has fallen off from that approach he's using this kind of gunshot let's tell everybody what to do and everyone do everything the same way uh, it's very ineffective, and I'll talk about more about that, about that mm. approach in just a minute. But um, get these folks their disability and find them a place to stay by renovating existing housing. Right. And, and so what can we do as, as a people um, to try to stop? the city giving all of these companies, all these, these developers tax breaks. Um, I mean, I just posted last night about the, the Lone Star district, um, down there on the South side that, you know, they're, they're, they're also getting another tax break and things like that. And you, you know, they're, they're going to end up raising those property values there in the surrounding area and going to push people more out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what can yeah. we do? to stop this yeah, constant yeah. barrage. Yeah, it does need to be stopped, okay? And I'm gonna take a play from the mayor's playbook and you know, sign uh, executive emergency order to stop that process. If it's already in place, if there's already agreements, okay, fine, let that go through. But we need to stop these deals now before they start that's not going to hurt these developers because it hasn't happened yet. Okay. And if they want to go to another city and convince that city to do it, we need to stop. I was asked uh, in the last uh, election by the editorial board at San Antonio Express News um, if what I was saying seemed to appear as if we should limit growth. And the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The growth <laughs> model is the problem. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, the corporate model is the problem. And serving the needs of those who run the show is the problem. You know, uh, you don't leave them out of the process, but you don't let them run the show. Okay. Right. Um, and the implications for these deals just keep year after year costing the taxpayers money. There's, yeah. there's no return. You know, we, we need deals that say, if you want this tax break, then you're going to set up a mental health clinic nearby. You're going to take some of your billions of dollars in profits from these deals, you know, to renovate these housing in the area, limit to the extent possible, you know, moving into neighborhoods, you know, if you want a, a shopping center, okay, but the next block over, you don't have to, you know, put a huge parking lot and run everybody off. You know, yeah. we got to examine these models that say it's about dollars. It's about progress. Um, we keep saying, Oh, we're the fastest growing city in the U S like that's great. And well, <laughs> that's a big part of the problem too. Yeah. Okay. And this is going to sound extra weird. And my students out there are going to have heard <laughs> this before, uh, which is, you know, if we're the seventh largest city, the country, then we have hundreds of thousands of natives to San Antonio, hundreds of thousands. Okay. I want to ask city leaders, the universities in San Antonio, all the corporations, all the employers, um, why do we keep following this model that we're going to only hire the best? And that always seems to be what uh, people call the national search. We're going to find the best person to be executive director of Metro health. And we go looking all over the country and we find someone, I don't know, I don't want to disparage any state, but you know, Oregon and mm -hmm. they come to San Antonio, like they're going to solve the problems and they don't even know the community. Mm -hmm. They don't even know the community. Someone who grew up on the South side or the West side or East side where there's not enough attention went off to college and came back because they wanted to give back to the community. They should be at the front of the line because they're natives. So they'll know what their community is going through. They'll know how to, to formulate solutions. Okay. So limit growth, um, find the best and the brightest here. And I can tell you, I've met a lot of them. We do have some of the nationals best and brightest here in San Antonio. We don't need to get, go looking somewhere else. And so uh, I'm not a native, but I'm a native to Texas. My dad and his family is native to San Antonio in the San Antonio area. Shout out to Hondo, Texas people out there, hey, my, pri hey, my primos out there. Uh, we're, we're such a large, vibrant community, but um, the leadership doesn't get it. They don't know San Antonio. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, that, that's a question I've asked a lot of the candidates is, are we growing too fast? And some have said no, you know, yes. or we're okay. And I'm like, I, I think we are, um, you know, we, jobs. we, yeah. And we're, we're not taking care of the infrastructure that we have here and we're neglecting the, the district threes, the district twos, you know, right. district fives, we're, you know, and, and looking at, mm -hmm. looking yeah. at the Lone Star district, right. The, well, that's what they've dubbed it now. Right. Um, the Lone Star district, Yep. That they use TERS money from District 2, which somehow District 
District 2's TERS boundaries go all the way out to Lone Star um, Brewery. Oh, they do? Yeah, all the way to Lone Star Brewery um, right there by uh, Probant. Um, mm-hmm. And which was weird. And it, they, they're, t- they're taking a $2.5 million in TERS money, which could be going to the east side. Yes. Um, you know, so, belongs. right. You know, so, I mean, I, I think that it's really mm-hmm. mismanaged in a sense. And there's a lot of money that, that people are getting corporations or companies that are getting yeah. and not local businesses that should be getting those, that money. But, um, so what what's the first item of business that you would like to do if you get elected into office? Make a comprehensive plan how to get out of this draconian lockdown and pandemic response. Okay. There needs to be a behavioral plan set in place how to do this. If I had been involved in mental health at the city level when the pandemic started, there would have been many other options we could have employed at that time that were not looked at. It was just this draconian all or nothing, everybody go home approach. So um, now someone like myself would need to come in and clean up the mess that the city and and the mayor have created for everyone practically, uh, particularly the most vulnerable and have a plan for how to do that. Okay. Their plan continues to be the same plan every day, every day, every day. He's on the news, live reports on COVID every day, every day, every day. It's not changing and therefore it's not effective. So there's got to be an alternative way to uh, get the, get us out of this and, and move towards self-sufficiency and, and, and taking care of each other. And those would be behavioral methods. Okay. The mayor and the city hall and others around the country have used these uh, governmental, uh, draconian, um, all or nothing thinking. um, And the data so far seems to say that um, it's not hurt those at the upper level of uh, leadership in the country. And so it's, it's the old adage that, you know, we know who created this problem. Why should we let those who created the problem find the solutions for getting out of it? It's just, that's insanity, you know? And so uh, here's an example of how the mayor's uh, um, actions and have been entirely ineffective. Um, You know, shortly after the the lockdown he ordered took place, um, there was the, there were these warnings about super spreader events. And the first one was going to be, I don't know, uh, that spring break or uh, the next was like Memorial Day. And it was don't celebrate. Don't go anywhere. Don't be with your families. Okay. Literally stay home. I mean, who says these things to people, to adults, to families? It's someone who has no idea what's going on out there in San Antonio. Um, So, um, It's really disheartening, okay? And so it's so then when uh, you know Memorial Day comes along, right? And then a week or two later, there's that surge in numbers. What's the mayor's response? What was his response? He chastised the people of San Antonio. You didn't do what I told you to do, implying it's your fault, San Antonio. You out there in San Antonio. That's why we're having a surge. And you know, you'd wonder who who's going to respond to that you know, effectively, 
you know, and so it's brought a lot of confusion out there uh, among San Antonio residents. And it just happened again and again, July 4th, Labor Day. If you don't do this, you're going to, you know, kill people. You know, this message was just terrifying, you know, and confusing. But he thought, I guess, if I just keep repeating the same thing over and over and over, it will eventually happen. Well, we don't know. We won't know for years what worked and didn't work. They're saying this is working. That's working. That's not working. That's not how science works. Okay. And so I want to kind of criticize this notion that we're using science uh, for this pandemic. Well, we're, we're not. We're using one, one field of science, immunology. We're ignoring all the rest of medicine. We're ignoring the whole mental, mental health science. You know, we're ignoring the data we know about, you know, vulnerable communities, you know. So to say to everyone the same message is clearly ineffective. And, and you know, part of the leadership uh, oftentimes is they won't admit it after the snowstorm. Nobody would admit fault. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a serious problem in leadership when the leaders all start pointing fingers at each other, you know, and we're sitting here looking to them for a solution. They don't have solutions. They just say, let's spend more money. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, people are dying now, as they say, but also dying from everything else. Domestic violence went up, record levels, homicides, child abuse, domestic violence. Is it working? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the question I want to ask the mayor, I, I wish I could in person because no one's inviting me to those in-person events and, you know, and say, you know, who did you save? He says these measures are saving lives. Well, who have you saved? And, and there's no answer to that question. Right. He cannot name a person, first and last name, who was saved by these measures. We know who died. We know who was hospitalized. We know who got it. Okay. And by default, this logic, which says so many people have died and so many more could have died. We don't know that, you know, but we can name the people who have been killed to COVID, to violence, domestic violence, children who've been killed. People have died of cancer. Those are people we can name. And, you know, well, why would you do something? It would hurt so many people. Hmm. And then in the process, not providing mental health, yeah. you know, and sort of getting back to these sweetheart deals. I was, it was a gut punch when I heard that the mayor and the city paid um, the hotel downtown like oh. $137,000 because it was in the in agreement to do that. I went, wow, where, where did that money go? Yeah. Where did our tax dollars go? I think that was the, um, the, the Hyatt. Hyatt, right? The Grand Hyatt. Yeah. And then also, I think it was um, the Ro Barrett County did the the rodeo. Yes, five hundred thousand. To was it five hundred or oh, yeah. over? It was it was something ridiculous. It was just like Huge really. Amount. So why you know? And so then some people were saying, well, why not give you know scholarships to the to the Fiesta Commission? You know how they were doing their stuff as well. It's like they missed out. Yeah. So uh, you know it. it yeah, there's a lot of money going out, but not not yeah. not going to the people or fixing the infrastructure. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a problem. Um, again, if any of y'all want to ask a question, please feel free to do so. 
this is an open forum. If you want to ask a question, please do so. You can click on the link above in the comments, and you can actually jump into the live stream and actually ask a question directly. Um, so what are some of the things that you feel maybe that are not being utilized by the city? Maybe like a, a government building or something, mm. an entity that's maybe not being utilized to its full potential? Oh, yeah. I got the list. <laughs> I have the list all right. of all the abandoned, unused city properties throughout the city. It's a long, long list. It's just sitting really? there. That's how I know that there's plenty of either office space for small business persons or people to renovate and live there. The money that's been spent already in relief from poor decision-making by leadership, we could have done those things already before the pandemic, before Donald Trump. I mean, it's just this mindset that, you know, we can talk about caring about people, but the actions don't show it. So yes, there's plenty of office space. It's pages and pages is long, single space. Well, can you maybe like give an example of one that maybe you feel like you can do something with it? Well, Flores Street is lined with them from hmm. Cesar Chavez out to the Lone Star area. If you've been there, uh, just drive, take a leisurely drive and look left and look right. And it's not long before you see abandoned, uh, probably small grocery stores, mom and pop grocery stores in the past, small houses. They look dilapidated. Some two story structures that are just abandoned, small ones. Um, let's um let's put you know a lot of good people and a lot of good small businesses there you know um my gosh it's so strange that we want tourists to come to san antonio why because they we want them to see you know the character of san antonio right but the emphasis too much is on you know the i, I love the missions i'm not saying but that and the river walk um but really what makes san antonio what it is is the people and the character right. and you know um the most humble, <laughs> yeah, the most <laughs> humble people I know out there, the most giving people I know out there don't have very much, mm. you know, that's San Antonio. Uh, we'll and help they don't ask other. for much and they don't ask for much when, no. you know, even though there's help there, they're like, no, it's fine. You know, somebody else can have it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things I find offensive too, about the way city government works after the pandemic started, they said, oh, we've got money, you know, just let us know if you need it. Well, I've talked to dozens and dozens of people already who have tried to get that money and can't. It's just sitting there. And the method in which they, the city wants you to prove <laughs> that you need help, uh, they give up. I mean, that's how, how it is, you know, or who has the laptop with the internet connection to get online and apply for these city funds mm. during a pandemic when you couldn't knock on the door at city hall to apply. I mean, it's just, they're just kind of doing the same thing over and over and over. And it's, it's not working people. It's mm. not working. Gotcha. Um, so uh, what would you like to see done regarding the property tax issue. I know you can't mm -hmm. change anything because um, that's yeah. at a state level, but what are some things that, that you would like to see done or can be done 
at a, at a mayoral level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if someone comes later and wants another sweetheart deal, um, we'll just say to them, you know, you're going to benefit by just coming here. Mm. So mm. that's it. That's you want to come here. Okay, fine. But you know, you're going to pay taxes. That's the, pr the privilege you have, right? You've got to show that you belong here, that you will contribute to the community, not by just coming in free and then start profiting off the people of San Antonio, getting, you know, bailouts when a pandemic happens or a snowstorm happens, you know, we've got to, you know, reverse that. Uh, also, I understand that, um, commercial property rates uh, can be looked at, okay? Mm. Now I know that's businesses saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, that's like the raising the minimum wage, you're gonna affect my, okay, but let's work together, let's do it gradually, not mm. overnight, but do it gradually and it'll, it'll soften the blow, but we're moving toward a new structure, a brand new way of doing things, okay? Not just tweaking what's going on now, and ironically, the people in charge and in power don't realize they're still going to be okay. This is not a threat to the rich and powerful. This is just saying, let's, you know, spread it out where it belongs. I mean, you're profiting because people are buying your goods, mm -hmm. you know, and I would want to change this notion of uh, giving back and charity. Charity is an old outdated model where, you know, people profit from, what they're doing in the community and then they give back. Okay. I want to say don't take in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And well, then you don't have to do that. And then they get all these accolades for being so generous. Mm -hmm. That model, we got to throw it out the window. I'm sorry. Just don't yeah. profit so much in the first place and you'll still be rich. Just don't profit so much in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, back to the Lone Star district, I think they're, the city told them that they would have to give money towards affordable housing, which yeah, it, it okay. goes right back to developers. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then the developers would decide where and yeah. what kind of structures and if what, we have to raise you know, a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Uh, affordable housing yeah, is found in some of these new large structures there around Lone Star, uh, Blue Star and all that, um, but not much, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And then I hear of those persons who are there who don't feel welcomed. You know, yeah. that, that's a corporate model that says, yeah, we'll build, a, you know, five story thousand unit and 10% of them will go for those who can't really afford that. Well, that's displacement. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the solution. It's right. just, uh, it's not working. Yeah. And, and, and I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there, you know, I do see a lot of people that are like, oh, well, we don't want, you know, those mm -hmm. people here or whatever it is they want to say is it's, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not, not a good mm -hmm. fit when they're doing stuff like that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so let's change the, the direction real quick. Uh, what are your top three small business restaurants in San Antonio? Since you're not a district, you're, you're <laughs> the whole city. So what's uh, what are your top three favorite small business restaurants? Well, I've been going to Rosario's downtown for 20 years, you know, uh, even before they developed that area the way they did now. Mm -hmm. um, not so much the Rosario's on the north side because it doesn't have the same character. It's not in the neighborhood. Uh, so that's definitely one. Um, I go to Las Palapas 
Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Two or more times uh, for lunch a week. There, that, that's great food right there. Um, and I love. Um, well, maybe this is not small business, but it's not a national chain. But you know, wild fish. You know, wild fish uh, out there. Uh, Sixteen oh four. So, but you know, on that note, um, how many? Tens of thousands of small businesses or restaurants went out of business during the pandemic in San Antonio. It's just Terrible. too many. Terrible. They need to be restored. They need to be restored. And, and one of the outcomes of this pandemic, I'm afraid, is if you, you know, wipe out these businesses with your decisions about how to run the pandemic, well, then the large national chains are just going to take their place further strengthening and funneling the money to the top billionaires, the top 1% in the country, including those in Texas and San Antonio, um, that they're taking advantage of this crisis in, in doing that. And, and your question is well put that, you know, we, we love San Antonio. We love the places we can go. And right now we're being told when, when and where to go. It's just, it's just, you know, a, a kind of madness in in a way, but um, those right. are my top three uh, restaurants. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to ask a question that doesn't get asked a lot, especially here, and it's a definitely a new concept. But would you be willing to look at um, possibly doing or? or would you be open to the idea of ranked choice voting? And for the people who don't know what ranked choice voting is, um, it's basically um, you have, it's the same way that people would win now. You, the candidate would have to have 50 plus 1%, the majority. Mm -hmm. um, but the way this works is you only vote once, right? You don't have to do a, a runoff if, somebody doesn't meet that 50 plus one criteria, especially with races that have a, a bunch of people in it. Mm -hmm. What happens is you have your first round and you can pick one, two, three, four, five. Yep. You can do it that way. Uh, if the, there's no clear winner, then the last person with the, the least amount of votes gets dropped off. Then you go to round two, which again, you don't vote twice. You don't have to go in and vote again. This is all just done automatically by process of elimination. And mm -hmm. then what happens is um, whoever, if you voted for your second candidate, then your votes get tallied to that second candidate and then so on and so forth until there is a clear winner. Um, this eliminates the need for runoff elections here in San Antonio, which costs at least eight to $10 million yes. every time to put um, on top of that volunteer hours and, and all that stuff. So, um, and then also it would create a little bit more unity between the candidates as well, because then the candidate would want to get the second place uh, <laughs> vote from somebody else's voter base. So yes. it would start working a little bit more cohesively and we're not going to be so divided as we are right now. Um, so it would be something which you would be willing to look at. Yes, of course, because number one, it uh, is different than the all or nothing way of doing things, a winner, you know, right. and when there's a winner, we can disregard everything else, all the other voters <laughs> and, right. and who their choices were in my national professional organization, the American Psychological Association. That's exactly how we choose our leaders. Mm, okay. 
So oh, it yeah. works. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can be done. So you may, you mentioned $8 million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a it, lot of money it, it's on more running right an now. election. Yeah. 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 So there's $8 million could have been spent differently. Uh, and not that elections are not important. No, no, but how you do it, you know, it does matter. Plus um, this is when I want to make a, a comment about the environment, climate change. Um, after running for office, uh, three times now, I've realized that there's, there's a whole industry of just elections. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's nonprofits, there's corporations helping to run elections right. for candidates. Uh, there are printing presses. There are, I mean, it's a whole separate industry that's kind of grown. Your recommendation, there would be a threat yeah. to, that, <laughs> to that. So you're going to get a lot of pushback just oh, because yeah. of dollars, you know, yeah. the way things are. Yeah. Um, but it also brings up a concept that I wanted to discuss too, which is uh, in our national association and our state organization, psychologists, we have a past president, a current president and a future president. We already know our leadership in advance. Hmm. So there's a seamless transition, you know, so I kind of wanted to say to Ron, you know, you know, if I win, you know, you're not going to go away. I'm going to need you to tell me what the heck's been going on and how to finish any, you know, sweetheart deals, you know, that you started with everyone and help me learn the ropes about city government and how to be a mayor so that I can be effective. Okay. Uh, that's another way of looking at it. You know, I could call an Ivy Taylor, the previous mayor, you know, have her appointed to pass mayor, you know, status or, or whatever it might be. So uh, you're right. There's many options we have here. Mm -hmm. I, I was hoping to make a final uh, statement before we get off here, oh, yes, but yes. if you have other questions, I don't want to interrupt. Um, just real quick, uh, <clears throat> um, Curtis, uh, as a candidate district four, I look forward to working with the small businesses. And then also a lot of nonprofits are forced to, forced to stay neutral in local elections. How would you change that? They, they, they have to stay neutral, uh, Curtis, yes. just because of they could lose their 5013C status. But I mean, I would assume they can work with, as long as they're open with everybody, well, kind of like how I'm doing now is, yeah. hey, everyone has a seat. If yeah. you want to choose to do it, you can, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, you, it's even affected the way I've talked here today, you know, because I work for a nonprofit, so I, I probably shouldn't name them, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and, and there's one really important provision in the election code, which says that uh, candidates cannot... Um, uh, campaign at sites where there are senior citizens, mm -hmm. you know, it's a vulnerable population. So, you know, hands off that kind of thing. Yeah. We've in, in the past, we've received letters not to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, it ex explains also why it, it seems hard for the mental health community in San Antonio to coalesce and come together. I mean, here's a candidate representing your interest and the interests of the people of San Antonio, but they're afraid yeah. To say, I endorse Dr. John Velasquez, psychologist for mayor of San Antonio, because he's going to help the mental health. They, they're afraid to do that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Definitely. So I've Go got ahead. five minutes, literally, because sure. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start my job here at okay. 10 o'clock doing telehealth Okay. Uh, with people all over the state of Texas. Uh, on that note, I've heard a jillion stories, okay, a million stories about the impact of pandemic on families in Texas and San Antonio and the snow storm as well. So I know what's happening. I've, I've seen in their houses. I mean, I know their, their lives and stuff, but, um, to kind of recap, uh, my candidacy over the years, 
Uh, I was nobody in 2017, finished in the middle of the pack, which means almost no votes. Um, there was that uh, runoff with Ivy Taylor and Ron Nuremberg. Uh, I was nobody, literally. Um, but um, and then in 2019, when I ran, um, there seemed to be an opening up of the local media to other candidates. Uh, so I got way more exposure. I ended up in third place, as you mentioned. Now, people will say, oh, yeah, but you only got 1,600 votes. Well, that was enough to force the runoff. And particularly when you look at mine and the fourth place and the fifth place, um, two Hispanic males and one African-American male, we made the difference. And so the, the Monday morning after the 2019 election, Ron Nuremberg was calling me on my direct line, asking for my support. He later invited me to uh, his Facebook Live uh, campaign page, and he promised, you know, uh, that he would attend to mental health in the next term and that he he would ask for my help. And I agreed. He said he would appoint me to a position where I could have input, which was in metro health. Uh, and right away, uh, Jenda Wu uh, dismissed that idea instantly and was locked out of the process. This is 2019, pre-COVID. And then here comes COVID and there's no mental health representation. Mm. Yet that's probably going to be the single most negative impact of the response to the virus is mental health. And so he's just turned his back on mental health, obviously. And there's something wrong in, in, uh, in metro health. Uh, there needs to be a kind of, uh, I don't know, reorganization there. If y'all you will recall, they hired a new executive director, uh, Don Emmerich, and within three months she resigned. On the way out, she says um, the executive director of Metro Health needs to be a Hispanic woman. I mean, think about that. And so it got me to thinking, what's going on there? So I made a um, Freedom of Information Act request with a city last October. Um, to um, <clears throat> get information from the city having anything to do with Metro Health, the, the virus, jobs programs in response to it, uh, to cover September 2019 to September 2020. So pre-COVID and the COVID era. Um, that was October, okay? I was told that um, because of COVID, it's gonna take a while. Okay, mm. fine. Well come November, December, nothing. Come January, I get word only after asking, what's the status? They said, it's a big document, it's gonna take a while. I said, okay, a month later I asked, how's it going? It's a big document, there's a lot of redaction to take place. I said, okay. I follow up a month later, they say, we're almost done, you'll get it next week. I still have not seen it. Mm. And that was two months ago. When am I going to get this information and what's there? Am I not going to get this information until the election is over? Mm. I, I think that people need to know what the city was doing behind the scenes in the service to citizens and they're not releasing that information. Mm. So appreciate the time. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you everybody for joining. Um, and I appreciate your time just, you know, coming on and, and speaking. Yeah. Uh, if, how can people get a hold of you, donate, volunteer? Well, um, 
<clears throat> I'm not taking donations because I already declared with the city clerk that I'm not going to raise more than $600 or spend more than that. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you can like my posts. Um, I'm at Velasquez for SA mayor on Facebook and Velasquez for the number four essay.com. Uh, you can learn a lot about my, um, my, um, my campaign, my history. I wish people would learn about my history and share, uh, Friends and followers are sharing more. This is the avenue this year to run a campaign. It's not going to be face-to-face -face large crowds and campaign yeah. rallies. Yeah. Um, but contact me directly. I'm looking for college student interns, these very energetic, smart, bright people who you just would love to help a, a campaign. You don't have to agree with my platform, but just you know get the experience. I had one last time. Uh, she was awesome got a lot done with just one. So uh, the word is out there for that. Um, and just read and like and share, please, everyone. Yeah, definitely. All right, John, well, thank you. And also, thank, if you. thank you for just joining and asking some questions. Also, if you would like to donate to this live stream, you can do so as well. Everyone that's watching, um, my cash app um, is just Eric J. Velasquez. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, great. Thank, thank you, everyone. And also have a great Saturday, great weekend. Take care. Bye-bye, everyone.